Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello? Hello, Acton Millwall, Nick, Karen and the boys. It's the Bath Alcoholic here. Ringing you up on Sunday morning because I was absolutely wankered yesterday after Forest. Thought I was going to collapse after the third goal went in, but that's also good because I'm a fat cunt. Um, what a win, Boo doing the business. Love the show every week, chaps. Listen every week. Keep up the good work. Come on, you lions. Good afternoon. Welcome to Acton Mill from our uh, very own coronavirus bunkers here in Royal Berkshire in London and wherever else Ryan is. Uh, my name's Aaron Paul, of course, your host of this magnificent podcast coming to you. Coronavirus, we are virus free. Believe me, we are. We are self-isolated, um, you know, just sort of nursing our, uh, our, our hordes of toilet rolls. That we around as well. um, joining me this week, the king of the quilt. It is Mr. Nick Hart. <laughs> I'm testing negative uh, listeners, less negative at the moment anyway, I hope. anyway. But yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Nick, for the... Well, I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to go on to Ryan. I mean, the one thing about Ryan is I've never actually met him, so I think he's been <laughs> self-isolation for the past sort of two years. He's been with us. Ryan, you are completely virus-free, aren't you? I am. I'm sat in an igloo made of toilet paper. I'm hoping we can <laughs> record a podcast today that might go viral. I'll tell you what, yeah, the podcast might go for very good. I like that, very good. Uh, I'll tell you what, I just want to say thanks to Darth Alcoholic. It is Darth Alcoholic, isn't it? Who, uh, that's, that's, who, uh, that's, voice, no. Nick, what's the number for the old voicemails, pal? It is 0208 And if you're calling from abroad, and I'd love to get some foreign and you know overseas calls, it would be plus four four. 208-144-0232. So call us. And thank you to Darth. That's a fantastic message. Mm. Thank you very much, Darth. Uh, let's look back. Um, firstly, uh, what a night at the City Ground. What a night at the City Ground. I think we were all in sort of disbelief uh, what happened. A Matt Smith hat-trick inside 13 minutes, I believe. Um I mean, just just finish Nottingham Forest off. Uh, they're calling him Aerosmith, aren't they now? <laughs> That's very clever. I like that one, don't you, Aerosmith? He scored a, a large proportion, the largest proportion of goals of his head. I, I can't remember the statistic. Maybe Ryan, you you, could, you might remember it, but Aerosmith was the um, the nickname given to him by the Football League people. That was very clever. Yeah, it was good. I think to be fair, um, I know like he's you know he's he's he did get one of his patented uh, headers, like. Cool headers at the back post, but you know the first two, 
Um, I mean, the second one's a bit questionable, but the first one, a low stooping header, you know, it's a really nice finish. Quicker than I think most would ever have expected him to. So, uh, what, yeah, just what a performance from him. Absolutely. And, you know, he's like any true striker. I mean, we might come on to this in a moment, but he's claiming the second goal, which I think was, um, you know, it was it was harsh. But that gives him the, the, the hat trick. And what striker doesn't want to claim three goals in, in, a, in a crucial game? I thought it was a real, real, real strong performance Friday night. It was um, I was trying to think of the a performance as good as that from a Millwall team. And I'm going back a long while. I can't think of one. You're going back to the kind of promotion years of the early 2000s. But that's one that's so complete over a mm. decent team as well. Decently placed side. Not even yeah, first. a really good side. Clinical is the word I'd use after watching it. Clinical is the word I'd use. I mean, obviously with Smith, he's had its um, he's had its critics. Let's be fair. Yeah, he does. Um, but I mean, what a what wow. I mean, that is what you want from a, he, he he performed like a, a top level. Championship striker. Let's be fair. Someone yeah. called it. Someone called him the Millwall's Latin. Um, I think it's, <laughs> it's it's you know obviously there's 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 humour in that, but I think it's not a bad comparison in in some ways because you know he's he's an ungainly man. But he tackled this. I don't know if you saw it, Ryan. There was a video on online. Um, I can't remember the name of the podcast or the video show that did it, but it was an interview with Matt Smith, and he actually tackles mm. this that you know he has his limitations, but it'll give you everything. Gives you one hundred percent each time. Yeah, he's fully like he's fully aware. Like I think he said in that, he's you know he's 100, 100 kilos and six foot seven. Like he's not going to be running around. And uh, I think it is. I think Raul, I think said it after the game was it. He said that Smith has been kind of on his case about starting games because of his goal record. And I think Raul said as well, if you do play Smith, you you have to change how you play. You can't play like we would with Bod Barson or Bradshaw up there because he can't press as much. He can't, you know, he doesn't have that energy. And sometimes it's really frustrating to watch, but. On Friday, you saw why he's why he gets in the team because he gets goals. And I think, like you've constantly said, I think uh, on Friday it was a matter of getting the ball wide and getting it into the box as opposed to knocking it diagonally long to him. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot of space in behind the fullbacks, especially down the side, down Mills left to where two of the goals came from. And Browitz obviously gone. This is how we need to use Smith. And like like you've been saying all season, you get the ball. Um, into him in the box and he'll score them. You know, there's no point playing those 40 yard diagonals to him. Get it in the box and he'll score goals. You, there's, there's a lot of unfair criticism of Matt Smith because you can argue that, you know, he's not the complete striker and he doesn't have the pace and, and all the rest of it. But we are in the championship and, you know, we're not going to be able to afford the, um, you know, the complete striker. So we have to make the best of what we have. And I think if you give him the right service, and that, I think it was the first goal where Murray Wallace, the Murray, Murray Donner is the other name now. We've got Zlatan and we've got Murray Donner. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it was quite clever. Someone put that online. Mm. Um, but what a cutback! What a run! What a cutback! And the cross found the mark and went in the net from from Smith. I just thought that was that was wonderful. You know, the thing about Forrest is Nick again. As I mentioned last week's podcast, sometimes they just do not turn up. Mm-hmm. And 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 when they don't turn up, they're there for the taking. There's a lot of teams that have gone to the city ground. They've been clinical. You know what? I watched Sheffield Wednesday about what two months ago, three months ago. In fact, no, it's about four months ago now. Go there and, and do them 4-0. It was 4-0 at half-time because Forrest weren't at the races. And that's the thing. Millwall caught them. 
they struck while the iron was hot. And it's 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 a fabulous performance. Going into this sort of business end of the season, that's if we're gonna have the rest of the season. Yeah, a couple couple weeks of that, yeah. yeah. That's uh, a real signal uh, of intent from Millwall though. You know, a sign of intent from Millwall to show, you know what, don't fuck with us because yeah, we can actually get a job done. Yeah, that, that wind like lays down a marker. And like you're saying, like Forest are they're, they're doing really well this season, better than anyone expects them to. But it is built on like counter-attacking and using the pace on the wings, and they're quite not easy because obviously they wouldn't be where they were if it was easy. But they can be susceptible to like playing into their hand or like playing against their hands, you know, and turning their strengths against them. And like Rowett was saying after the game about doing that, and uh, I think from as poor as Forest were, I think Rowett, a lot of credit goes to Rowett and the side he picked and the game plan that he had, you know, it absolutely just opened them up. I think bringing Shane Ferguson in, who, again, yeah, like, won't yeah, leave, yeah. he won't lie down because he keeps proving his value. And I think, you know, you know my opinions on Murray Wallace, Nick, and obviously he does have a good game in him every now and then. But I've been calling for the last few weeks for, for, for Ferguson to come in just to give him some help on the left because he needs it. And I think last time we played Forrest, Joe Lolly kind of, when he came on, in the second half and had the absolute run-in of um, Murray Wallace and changed the game. And Ferguson today, just from the off, Rowett puts him in and just gives him that security. The first goal comes from the two of them defending well and winning the ball back. Yep. And yep. and then when you've got Ferguson there, who likes to sit a bit deeper, Wallace can get a bit further forward and there's lo- like a bit less attacking burden on him and I think it brings the best out of him. And Ferguson is one of those where he's not spectacular. He's not really fast, super skillful, strike a ball well. And he clearly, he clearly wants to be a Millwall player and he works hard. And, you know, if, if that's the sort of players we need to get us over the line, then I think, he, I mean, he'll, he should start against Derby, no doubt, I think, because I think that performance really laid down a marker in a position that's been a problem all year. And he's come in and tried to make it his own. No, I agree. Um, I, I like Shane Ferguson. He, he, as you say, he's a player that um, has clung on for some years now. Really, I mean, he, he, he always seems to be just about going out into the, uh, in, you know, yeah. to be cut, cast out of the fold, and then he'll, he'll come make himself um, useful. You know, I don't know about indispensable, but very, very useful indeed, like he did up up there at Forest. What about his second goal? Shall we talk about the second goal, the, the one that he claimed after an absolutely superb run from deep from Jason Malumbi? Um, that was a crossing from the. Was that a crossing from the left? Was that was that Ferguson with the cross? No, that, that was to... Bennett. Bennett with the cross. Bennett. I mean, he, he looks like a different level, Bennett. But the cross has come in. Maloney shows real quality. I mean, his, his hero was Roy Keane as a boy. That's the that's the player he wants to model himself on. You could see it with that run forwards, mm-hmm. and he gets on the end of the cross. And Smith, it kind of deflects, or did he back heel it? Would 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 you have claimed that if you were Smith, Ryan? Would you? Um, so, so that's my goal. Oh, I don't. It was a hard one. I don't know if I would have, but I think on on what was interesting on first looking, I think everyone thought it was Jason Lumby's goal, and then uh, I did. On on the there's a the, the second highlight where it's like in amongst the feet, it does clearly like flick Smith's ankle, uh, his heel, and it does make a big difference to the traje- trajectory. So I'm it not diff- sure diff- it yeah. without the touch. So okay. You kind of have to, but I mean Smith was the first one to. To claim, you know, by the time he got the first, he was wheeling <laughs> off with, uh, with the three, three up, yeah. you know. He was on it before anyone else being like that with my goal. So, I mean, they might have a bit of a joke about it. I don't think it will. It won't cause too many uh, eruptions in the camp, I don't think. But uh, I no, think the striker's going to be claiming something like that. You see Harry Kane being the worst for it, you know. I think 
he's kind of the benchmark of striker's instinct at the moment. So, you know, you're gonna you've got to claim what you can. Would you have claimed that, uh, Aaron? Would you have claimed Damn that? Right, one? I would. Damn. <laughs> I thought you'd say that. Poacher's effort, pal. Poacher's effort. It's all about being in the right place. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Let 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 let's be having it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, it's quite <laughs> interesting, actually, the whole Malumbi thing afterwards, where he's like, he's in the claim it. Smith's in the claim it. I don't think Matt Smith said anything, but you know, testament to a player who's. Um, who stepped up considering, you know, sort of the lack of goals on the front. Obviously, Tom Bradshaw is someone who, you know, is is loved now by the Mill fans because he's he's that all-action combative centre-forward. Bod Varson, for all his good work, hasn't got the goal return, but Smith has actually proven his worth there. He puts, he puts himself in positions. I mean, the third goal was a classic um, big striker's goal. I mean, we were totally aerially dominant against Forrest. They didn't know how to handle him in the first half, especially. Um, Well-deserved. I thought um, Bennett was, he did really good work in like stretching the defence as well and, you know, involved in the first two goals. Um, and obviously he's still just a bit off the fitness, but I mean, in the three games he's had so far, or three parts of games, he's really looked like he's added something. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he keeps it up. And I'm sure if he keeps it up, chances are we could sign him permanently in the summer. And it's, uh, I think he's kind of laid a marker coming straight into the side and, you know, performing, I think, a, a much higher than he's, he's performing much better than I would have expected him to and uh, I think maybe maybe even Raul expected him to at the moment real quality player in my opinion I mean it, clearly fitness is still his his main thing he's still trying to build fitness enough so he came off was it 60 minutes or so he came out yeah of the game on, on Friday night so he's still not quite there perhaps but um, what I did see um, and what I've seen on the couple of occasions I've seen him so far, he looks real quality. Um, he's got the saddest eyes in the world, though, isn't he? He, he, he looks so, uh, you know, none of us can help the face we're born with, but, you know, he's, he's, he's got the saddest face. I don't know if that's his natural visage or whether that's... Whether like Droopy the dog, do you mean? For, so, yeah, he is a bit... It's, it reminds me of um, Aaron Lennon a bit. You know, there was uh, when he signed <laughs> and that picture went round of him holding the shirt and he just looked <laughs> miserable. And he's a bit like that of someone who just, you know, as hard as they try, they're, you know, they've been nightmare to buy Christmas presents for because they unwrap a few <laughs> the wife sat there looking at him being like, why can't you laugh? Oh dear! So, but a good player and a good acquisition. A good player, nonetheless. That's fine. Yeah, that's all I care about, really, uh, without being too hard on the boy. But no, I, I thought it was a wonderful performance. And you know, having got three goals ahead, we've seen other situations where the Lions have let leads slip, let leads, leads at leads, um, particularly. And you know, to defend so well in the second half, when we really shut Forrest out of the out of the proceedings, a couple of long range shots. I think Bart made one save that sticks in my mind in the second period, but nothing of any great note. And I thought that's just a great, great, solid, complete performance by Millwall. Long time since I've seen one as good. Achtung, Mailball. It's interesting with the you know how well we shut them down. I think Sky put on a stat before the game that have we conceded the least goals in the championship since Browett took over, like. I think they've got the, the best defence in the in, in the league. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Since I took over the best defence in the league, that is a phenomenal record. Yeah, it really is. And I think how we... I, I mean, the last few weeks, Bart hasn't had anything to do. I think earlier in the season, every week he'd pull out a wonder save. And, I mean, in the last few games, was it the Birmingham and Bristol City game back-to-back, he had one shot on target to deal with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All the, like, all the other games, he's just not having any work to do. And like you said, when he was called upon on Friday... He uh he made the save and that's fine, but 
we're just it is just that goals we're lacking like defensively we're clearly one of the top sides in the division and it it's really impressive credit to Rowett like how he's improved us from a bit of a shambles our defence was last season to an extent I'm not necessarily shambles but the confidence that they had and like Hutchinson's obviously back to his full like full ability Cooper's just fantastic Bart behind them just inspires that confidence and yeah, it's really surprising. Not surprising, but it's just such a positive for how solid defensively we are. But how much easier is it to look a great goalkeeper when you have a solid defence in front of you? I'm just thinking to last night's game. I was watching Liverpool play um, Atletico in, in the in the Champions League, and then the Atletico was it or- Orca? Is it, is it? Or Black? Or Black? Sorry. Oh, what a fabulous keeper! He, what he a fabulous is the best keeper. keeper in the world, though. He's the best keeper in the world, but what a defence in front of him, boys! I mean, you know, you've got to take your hat off. That is a defence that. You know, one of the best in the world. I, I accept that, but you know, you you can be the best in the world if you, as long as you've got some great defenders. Because if you're yeah. being peppered with shots, and I did read um, when Bart had a bad season at Ipswich, um, the Ipswich defence that that year was no no great shakes, and he was being bombarded with you know with shots. Well, you know, yeah. even the greatest can't keep out. You know, every volume. No I mean, people are talking about David De Gea right now, and you know how he sort of dropped off form. At the end of the day, you know, you can keep a defence, uh, you can keep, you can hold a defence together for so long, mm. but there's going to be a time where you snap, you're human, you know, you are human, and it's interesting, after the Manchester derby on Sunday, Pep Guardiola talking about his own goalkeeper, Edison, and basically just said he's a great goalkeeper, he's a human though, you know, mm. um, so uh, yeah, no, interesting, very interesting. Well, it's, it's always the case on, on match of the day or or just in the Premier League season generally, one of the bottom three sides always looks to have one of the best keepers in the league. Like, you look back to, like, David Marshall when Cardiff were there, Rob Green at times, John Ruddy. Because on match today, they're constantly pulling off these saves all the time. And it's just because they're facing 15 shots a game, you know. So it makes them look fantastic. But the best goalkeepers save them when they have one or two to make. Absolutely. And Bart did yesterday or you don't, yesterday, you... Friday. You don't want to be making saves all the time as a goalkeeper. You bet, you know, you're, you're, you're best served not even being involved because the defence is so good in front of you. And just going back to the Liverpool game, I mean, the game was lost last night by, by um, slapstick goalkeeping. So that yeah. shows you the value, as we found with Bart Bielkowski, um, the value of a great goalkeeper because yeah. it all builds from there backwards, isn't it? So, no, um, he's been a huge, huge attribute to, to the side this season. But in terms of uh, complete performances, when was the last time? I mean, remember, I put it in my blog, but the last time we won 3 0 or won by three goals, I think it was. Yeah. So the last time we won by three goals was in 2018. I can't, it was a few, I wrote it a while ago now, so I can't remember who the game was against. But the last time we won away from home by three goals was in 2015 against Walsall away. Did we? In, I think in Harris's first season back in League One. So. It doesn't happen often with Millwall that we get such a resounding result, especially on the road. No, I mean, I'd forgotten that. I can't remember the Walsall result. I remember one where um, uh, we, we, we won 4-1. Um, yeah, who's the, that... who's the, the back-to-back hat-trick man? What was his name? Um, Darius Henderson. He, there was mm. a, that was a... I mean, going back a fair... I don't know if that's the same game. I'm wondering if it is, actually. But anyway... No, that, um, was, that would have been before, because that was... I think one of those games was Leicester, wasn't it? He got a hat-trick against Leicester and then got one the week before. Next, yes, that's right, yeah. But, I mean, you're going back a long way, and we don't. it doesn't yeah. happen very often. I mean, well, you, look at it, you look at it, Millwall in the top 10 are the lowest goal scorers. They've scored 44 goals. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of teams in the bottom half who have scored more goals than Birmingham, Stoke, 
Huddersfield have scored goal, more goals than Millwall. QPR, of course, when they're Naki Wells and whatnot. Hull, who are in 21st, have scored 49. Millwall scored the same amount as Charlton, um, who are somewhat in a bit of trouble at the moment. Their, their minds are elsewhere, I think, at the moment. Yeah, elsewhere. Right. But, um, you know, goal scoring has always been an issue. And I think, again, I think we're going to see... Um, you know, I think we're going to see again in the summer. We're, we're talking about the summer a lot. Um, I think we're going to see Gary Rout really make his mark on the squad and hopefully a, a top-class goalscorer come in. One thing yeah. I just did strike me, I mean, you know, last week's show, we weren't quite writing the season off, but I think we were kind of trying to be realistic about the prospects of what was, you know, um, what was what was left of the of the season in front of us. Um, and just when we needed it most, we pulled out such a performance. I mean, there, there is... I think I've questioned the the, the kind of um, the, the 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 spine of the team, but they're just the some of the players and their their ability to handle the big time. I think is the way I've put it. And I think I've probably got a bit of an answer because that was a big time situation on Friday night, and they won a lot of that team stepped up to the plate and showed the manager what they've got, and just in the right moment, you know, it's it, that was that was the real kind of um, you know the extra something on top of the of the performance for me. It was needed most, and we we found it just at the right moment. So. And there we are, two points off the playoffs now, two points off of Preston in six. Yeah, four. we do um, often have the habit of like disappointing the big moments, don't we? But, uh, <laughs> have you noticed that, Ryan? <laughs> I think you know. I think that's something you learn quickly about. Uh, I think when when we lost in the playoff final against Barnsley, and uh, I was living at uni with my and my housemate was like, "Oh, you must be so gutted," and I was like, "I never really expected us to win, to be honest, mate." I'm used to it by now, so I think he's a Man United fan, so I think uh, it's something you learn quickly as a Millwall fan. Over 40 years I've had of that, yeah, so <laughs> welcome to the rest of your life, Ro. Um Yeah, it's it's interesting, I mean, we, we, for some reason, and we touched on this the other week, that we, we play our best football against the big teams in the big situations mm. and struggle against the, the lower-placed um, sides, but then they're, they're also scrambling, I'm just looking at the league table as we're speaking now, and you know, it's a very, very tight race at the bottom. So, yeah. you know, these these aren't these aren't um, done deals. These these games as 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 we get to the last what nine games now of the, of the season. Yeah. So to still be in it now is unbelievable. Really, I think no one like you say beginning of the season with Harris, it was about not necessarily just surviving relegation, but like kind of finishing mid table and re-establishing ourselves. So to be in the position that we are now is just incredible, really. And it, it's a bit fortunate with everyone dropping points around us like I wrote in the I wrote a thing in the week about you know the the numbers behind you know who's who's playing who and how many points we might need but everyone around us is in bad form curious isn't it don't you find that don't you find that curious it's weird weird, isn't it it's such a weird at this point in the season no one around us I think from third oh no from fourth until 11th has more than one win in five some stretching back to one win in seven one win in nine Millwall are the only team to win two and five. It's odd that normally none of like normally one of one or two of these teams really taking their claim, but at the moment it's just a bit of a free for all and Millwall need to build on Friday and take it into their own hands, really. I think it really is in Millwall's own hands at the moment because a lot of our rivals play each other. They have games against Leeds and West Brom and against Fulham, games like that. Millwall have on paper the easiest running, and like you said, we, we struggle against the lower side. So it wouldn't be surprising if we slip up a bit, but we're really in a position where if we win all the games we're supposed to win or we look like on paper we should win, it will 
come down to being in our own hands, I think. The table I'm looking at is it must be a derby on 51 points. They, I think this must have predated the, the win the other day, but they won't see themselves as entirely out of the, 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 the as a long shot derby. for the playoffs. Yeah. But Nick, I mean, there's this talk about a points deduction. Which, well, that's, um, that's, that's another, that's another thing but the players must regard themselves as having a shot I mean that, that that's beyond mm. their control so you know they'll, they'll come to the den presuming that they come to the den presuming the game happens and we, we, we haven't yeah, touched on on that side of it yet but um, I mean Nick you say that you they drop 12 points and they sit where Charlton are yeah that's 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 the other side of their coin that's right um, I mean, I've not seen anything on that. Is, is that still bubbling away out there, Aaron? I don't know how much yeah, you can, well, you can mean, how much privy them, knowledge you can share. Wednesday, with them and Sheffield Wednesday, there's a call from sort of the wider football community to get this done because it looks like it's going to drag over the next season. No one yeah. wants it to drag over to next season, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If, I was, if they have done wrong, then get it sorted. You know? yeah. I, was, I was reading in the week about the Sheffield Wednesday one where I think it is looking like it's going to be the full 21 point deduction for them. 21. And, wow. Wow. And, and uh, like, like Aaron saying, there's a pressure from the rest of the EFL clubs to get it done this season and from the league, because if they don't get it done this season and they do it at the beginning of next, that could mean um, like legal cases against the sides that go down or from the sides that go down. Yeah. We've lost out on revenue because we should have been in the league. And Sheffield Wednesday's lawyers are doing everything they can to delay. I think they've hired the same lawyer as the the one that QPR used when. I, was thought, I thought you were going to say Harvey Weinstein's lawyer for a moment. Then. No, <laughs> good good luck with that. If that's who they've hired, he's so. a mixed bag. No, um, it's the same lawyer that QPR used when um, their financial fair play um, right. demeanor stretched over four years, and they avoided punishment of over it for four years. So. They've obviously got someone who's wise in the old delaying tactics, but I mean, it could be big ramifications for the EFL if they can't get it done before the end of the season. Well, 21 point deduction will put them on what's that? Uh, 20, 20, 27 points. Bottom, bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, and who knows what Derby might or might not get. But I mean, from the playing staff point of view, they can't they can't keep that in mind. They've got to come to the den looking for a result. I would have thought that's all they can do. Yeah, of course. Achtung, Mailball. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Shall we touch on the, 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 uh, the, the, the virus in the room? Shall we talk about that? <laughs> Because there was I hope a... it's not in the room, Nick. Listeners will need to know we're all self-isolating. I'm, 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 I'm pretty good at self-isolating. Actually. I'm quite good at that. But um, okay, we are. Yeah. This is a Skype conversation, so we're, we're not in. We're not in any uh, any danger. Um, interesting story after the Forest game that the the, the Forest chairman Maranakis had yeah, um, tested for positive for the coronavirus that is um, afflicting the world at the moment. Um, and that, you know, as we're speaking, I think the La Liga has uh, announced today that it's uh, it's suspended, and there were games played last night in front of closed doors. You know, the PSG, and we discussed off air the the, the Bundesliga game, um, Dortmund, uh, Mönchengladbach, and Cologne. Um, should this? I mean, my question is: is will it? I don't think we can. Any of us can predict will it, whether it will or it won't, but whether it should. I'm not sure that it can, in in all honesty. I mean, much as I don't want to see our Millwall, pro, you know, procession to the playoffs postponed, but I, I I don't see how these things, I don't see how from what we read of the virus and how it spreads so easily, and if you know events here, there, and everywhere are, are shutting down, and the pressure is on. Um, I read that you know Formula One being criticised for still staging. Uh, Grand, Grand Prix in Australia. I just can't see how the EFL um, and the Premier League, which I think has already cancelled Manchester City Arsenal. Yeah, that it. one was odd. I thought the, the Man City Arsenal one was odd because they cancelled it because obviously the, the Nottingham Forest owner also owns Olympiacos. So they cancelled it over concerns about when Arsenal played Olympiacos, obviously, like yeah. before last. But what I thought was weird about that was that was before the Forest game against Millwall, which the owner was at. And I think that the Forest one, it's a bit, I think that, that story's maybe been a little bit overblown because he tested positive about three days after, after being back in Greece. The Forest squad and members and everyone he met all got tested and came back negative. So I thought it was an odd call for the City Arsenal one to be cancelled because of that, after all the Forest players and staff had been tested positive. But, you know, it is, it is precautionary. I think there's so much that's, I mean, the actual virus itself, there's so much that is still un, unknown. I mean, all, yeah. the, all the reports I've read online, I've been doing a lot of reading on it today. Um, and it's a number based, you see various numbers, and obviously it's affected China and Iran um, and Italy, as, as, as we're seeing, uh, where Syria is cancelled at the moment, postponed, probably a better way to put it. Um, I mean, everything seems to imply if you take measures quickly and early, which makes, you know, puts you into the snowflake territory of, um, you know, it's only the flu and so on and so forth. But if you do take early enough precautions, it seems to be that the the peak um, casualty rate from it is is, is contained and kept yeah. within a level where health services can manage it. And I think that's that's where the that's where it's that, that's the kind of um, the, 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 you know, the, the hook, so to speak. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, what? Probably a better question, really, whether it should or shouldn't. I don't don't think we're qualified to answer. But 
what would you prefer? Would you prefer behind closed doors, Aaron, or would you prefer for postponement of fixtures? Where, I, um, I, I'm, I'm not bothered to be honest. Either or, as long as they do something to sort of combat it, um, let's carry on. I mean, the thought of postponing it actually sounds better, just so that Liverpool don't win the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that's and, and don't forget thing. about Leeds' promotion push as well. <laughs> yeah, Leeds stay down there. Liverpool don't win the Premier League. We call it quit. Say the season <laughs> null and void. Um, you know, <laughs> they need to sort this out and sort of work out their stance before the European Championships as well. Because, you know, we've got a massive tournament coming up. We've got the Olympics coming up. Yeah. And you're seeing sporting events being cancelled left, right and centre. They scrapped the yeah. NPA yesterday. Apparently, yeah, UEFA are going to hold a coronavirus video conference on Tuesday. I mean... Why, why, why? Tuesday, you know, like is is it is it like you know? I think that little Infantino has BT round Aaron. They're trying to sort out his router at the moment, so I think he can't get an appointment till Tuesday. That's the reason behind that. I I mean, my obviously I've asked um, the chaps to send in their voicemail, so we'll we'll run those in a moment. But one thing that struck me, and we we spoke about this off air, um, was watching the German game the other night, the uh, uh, Munchen Gladbach game, played in the empty stadium. Um, football does not, for me, football cannot exist other than at the most basic park level, non-league level, without a crowd. It, it, the, the two go hand in hand. There is no event without a crowd to watch it. Um, and as, as we described it before the, we started recording this, it was like watching a, I don't know, a game of um, basketball in a leisure centre. You had that, the shouts of the players echoing off the, the, the stadium. Um, it was a non-event for me. Um, yes. And I don't, I don't. I think football and the crowd. I mean, there's, there's wider lessons for football generally that you can have all the TV money in the world, but if you don't have a crowd watching your game, then you have nothing. Exactly. But you know, um, I just think that um, behind closed doors, for me personally, is the worst possible option, other than postponement or some other outcome that we can't yet predict. But let's 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 run the chaps to voicemails, Aaron, and uh, we'll come back after. We've heard from um, Michael and Harry. Yeah, run the chaps. Achtung, Milbal. So, should football games be cancelled in the wake of the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever it wants to call itself this week? Um, it's a difficult one. It's a tricky one. Obviously, you have the whole human rights argument and you have the whole you should be allowed to do what you want. But we are in um, what is now officially a pandemic, um, which is not good. We won't go into the ups and downs and ins and outs of what a pandemic actually means. But I think we know it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky situation that the country finds itself in. Um, when it comes to cancelling or behind closed doors i think that the main thing is there's consistency across the board more than anything else you cannot have uefa sanctioned competitions and i'm even talking about domestic leagues because they are obviously sanctioned by uefa eventually into the uh, pyramid of uh, world international european domestic football um you can't have one country doing one thing and another country doing another um if you are having games that are going across continents, um, across um, countries and across uh, regions uh, and one country does have a bad uh, hit area of this disease, for example, Italy, then yeah, then then 
the, those those teams shouldn't be able to to travel there and therefore play in these countries and vice versa. You shouldn't have to travel there neither. When it comes to the fans, it, it, it's it's interesting because my point of view with the Premier League, it seems to be that they're just doing it to um, to make the money. And I know that sounds horrific because uh, they're doing a lot of things to basically put in place that this country's okay, this country's all right to, to host games. There's no problem. They're now saying that the disease doesn't last long outside the body, but then why are other, Europe, um, other European places banning their games as well? Um, I think it's the Premier League's way of obviously trying to not go through the logistics of having to pay people things and go into the politics of having to refund season tickets and match day tickets and getting people to follow that god-awful I follow. In a nutshell, sorry to be long-winded, it's consistency. You, 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 it has to be across the board. Um, ban or across the board, everywhere's open. Come on your lines. Uh, just in response to Michael's point, um, I understand the idea of everyone's the same, but in this country, we don't have a pandemic. Um, I know it's a worldwide pandemic, but our case level is less than what you'd get with the winter vomiting bug. Um, uh, seemingly any kind of salient argument or any kind of um, uh, World Health Organization official or anyone studies of disease and so on and so forth seemingly are being lost in um, media hysteria. We've actually not seen media hysteria like this since Millwall last played Everton in a cup. Um, but basically what the gentleman was saying this morning was that it's more dangerous to go and watch the games down the pub because the disease is in a confined space and a confined area like it would be on the tube um, or, or a train than where it would be outside in um, going airborne um, at a football stadium. Now, I don't know what the, the what the logic is to that. I don't know how it works. I'm not a disease specialist. I'm not a, um, a medical man. My, my simple point is, is that if you expect me to go to work um, using public transport and so on and coming into the uh, contact with other people, then you can't expect people to not be pissed off if they suddenly can't go and use their hard-earned money in the way that they want to. Um, I'm not normally one. It's not really a human rights issue. It's a democracy issue, in my opinion. We have democratic free rule in our country. Many countries around the world do not have that right. Most Middle Eastern countries, in fact, referring to the next World Cup host, Qatar, don't have free will. And... Iran as well, but we won't go into political statements. The, th the fact of the matter is is that uh, Millwall's game should be on this weekend. Hopefully it will be. Um, Italy has a much larger outbreak, so therefore Italian football has to come to a stop. Spain has a bigger outbreak, then its football have to stop. I don't understand the idea of playing games behind closed doors. It gives a massive advantage to teams that are... Um, traveling away from home um because those games would be harder they now are equalized the the traveling away factor is taken away also um if it really is that bad there will become an issue of um squads uh you know bigger squads like manchester city where they have sort of three first teams that are capable of getting into anyone's premier league side would um would obviously have an advantage 
for us a smaller squad, obviously not in the same division, but like Millwall where we've got 22 players, probably about 17 of them could get in the first team. Um, you know, w- would struggle more if they were to be hit with a bigger outbreak of the disease within their squad. So it's either, for me, cancel or play at the moment in England, at least, and I'm not worried about the Champions League and I'm not worried about the UEFA Cup. But as far as I'm concerned, they should be postponed really this season, um, the way it's looking. However, they're an, additional, they're an additional risk and obviously travel bans in place will make that worse. But your domestic competition should be taken by a country by country basis. And at the moment, our country has got, what, 400, 500 cases, um, which in the grand scheme of people per capita um, is extremely, extremely low let alone the mortality rate from that, which is extremely, extremely low. Um, I just think it's too early to be pulling this pulling this pin. I mean, if Cheltenham's allowed to go ahead, fuck me, Millwall must be allowed to play at home against Derby, surely. Good evening, listeners. Jerry Scalak here. There is a new product in the Millwall Club shop for the bargain price of 99.99. How much? The Millwall hazmat suit. Customization, of course, available. I'll be getting Millwall's new Russian signing, COVID number 19 on the back. Not sure about you, though. Look forward to wearing it. Uh, confined probably to my one-bedroom flat soon with Netflix, PlayStation and the Actung Millwall back catalogue. May God have mercy on me. Can't really give an opinion on this coronavirus pandemic as I'm not a medical expert, contrary to popular opinion. But it looks as though events with big crowds, and yes, that does include the den, of course, people will be banned from attending. If this is the decision which will try and stop the virus spreading and ultimately stop deaths, then of course it's the correct decision. Anyway, hopefully it won't last too long, as of course we all want to be there at Wembley when Mill will get promoted to the Premier League in May. Achtung, Mehlball. Uh, thank you very much to both the chaps there. That's if Nick has included the audio this week. Uh, <laughs> he is getting on, so we need to remind him every week. That's yeah, I think we do. Um... <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. Also, no. as, as we're recording this, I'm not sure if Mike Caden's going to send me one yet. Sorry, I might, if Mike did. Thank you, Mike. If you didn't, what are you up to, Mike? <laughs> Maybe he's come down with the coronavirus. But, um... If you didn't, then Mike, you're fucking useless. <laughs> what can I say? Um, should we talk new contracts? Nick? Yeah, because it's been a good week for Millwall. And obviously, um, the good news didn't just stop on Friday night because we've got, um, in addition to some of the other long-term deals we've seen, I'm just thinking back, was it Sean Williams assigned and Sean Hutchinson assigned new long-term deals? We're joined now by Mark on Romeo signing a new long-term deal um, and Billy Mitchell securing mm. the future is, is a, an unproven talent yet yeah, but certainly one that looks the part uh, and with Jason Malombi seemingly um, you know destined to go back to the seaside at the end of the season Billy Mitchell I think will be a, a major name you know to, to come in over the year, years ahead but this is really good news I mean this this is as the cliche has it as good as a signing isn't it to see these you know, very talented, a defence that's that's um, one of the best, if not the best in the division, um, being secured for the for years to come. I think that it's it's a really heartening sign of the good times that are, if they're not going to happen this season, we, we remains to be seen, but there seem to be better times ahead for the Lions. And um, long may that continue. I did see one, one post from um, uh, 
someone, I can't remember who it is now, but saying how the, the is this the impact of the Husky money, you know, the 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 ability to make long term plans backed by Husky and, you know, with the, the plans for the club. I, I don't know whether that's a factor in this, but it's certainly heartening to see it. Yeah, uh, I think it is, like you're saying, that, that I saw that tweet as well about the Husky money. And I think, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to try and write something about this next week. It's a bit of a hornet's nest. But you look at what's going on at Charlton in the last few days and you look at, you know, the the, the worry at West Ham over their ownership and uh, should they get relegated, the financial problems that will bring them. And then to look at Millwall, who, for a club that, you know, have quite a bad reputation in the media, who aren't, you know, everyone's cup of tea. We're being run so well at the moment. We've got great financial backing. We've got, I think, one of the best owners in England of a football club because of his commitment, financial backing, but also like his passion that he gives to the club. And we've got, under him, we've come from a side that, you know, we know we can't compete financially with a lot of sides, but the way we've grown, the stadium plans with Husky Chocolate, with new investment, and uh, it's just setting us up for the future. And like you say, the fact that we've got these players tied down, even the fact that we got Rowett in the first place. I know people complain about the club not being ambitious at times, but this these are signs of ambition. It doesn't always have to be spending two million on a striker. It can be tying down your best assets so that if you do sell them on, we get more money or they're there for the long run or we've got a good manager, you know. And it, it does speak volumes of the track that Millwall are on, that we're getting these deals done early. We're getting them done in volume. We're getting them done to key players. And the the team spirit that we hear so much of in the camp is obviously a massive factor in that. And it it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with where Millwall are at the moment. It's just fantastic to see compared to what's going on with neighbours and rivals. We are, we're doing fantastically. To come on to Charlton in a sec, I just wanted to say, Steve Evans, I just found his tweet here. It's Steve Evans, MFC, says, if anyone thought the Husky money was just a rumour, look at how many of our squad are now tied down to long-term deals. Uh, and here's the point, it never would have happened before and we have a solid foundation to build from going forward. So, exactly. well put, Steve. Sorry, Aaron, so, just, just on a side note, perhaps, uh, Brendan Rogers has confirmed that two of his players are in self-isolation um, and that they've shown some symptoms of coronavirus. Has he um, said who? Or no, said no, no. Just that three players um, have, have, have sort of shown symptoms and that they are self-isolating. Interesting. I think this will move very, very fast. I, I think it's the nature. I mean, none of us are medical qualified. I don't think any of us are medically qualified. But, um, you know, this, 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 there's a certain point where... Uh, an industry like football has to take a view on on the safety of not only of the of the um, of the spectators in the stadium, but also their own players. They've got they've got a duty of care towards their own players, and I, that's what I don't quite understand about the behind closed doors. Because um, I think it was uh, Nic- Nicola Palios replied to somebody online earlier on on, on Twitter saying, "What about you know if there's physical contact in a game of football and exactly. there's." There's sweat. There's there's you know bodily fluids of all descriptions sometimes. So, you know you 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 cannot be you you cannot as an employer, which is what any club is, you cannot put your employees in a position of mm. potential risk. It's it, it just a fact of life. I mean, none of us like it. None of us want it. Yeah, um, like you say, yeah. I think football needs to maybe step back and look at the bigger picture. It's you know it's weird because behind closed doors is obviously usually a punishment for clubs. You know. It's yes. or something they get behind closed doors closure. So at the moment, it's been a bit of a punishment for the players that, oh, no one else is going because you might get mm. sick, but you guys just trot out there and, and keep going. So it's interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's no handshaking before the game now, and um, we've all seen uh, Jurgen Klopp coming out telling some fans to yeah to put their hands away, um, calling them idiots um, because they want to get a little touch with the, uh, the 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 guru himself. You know, um, football is football is what it is. You can't really do away with physical contact. It's, it's a it's a contact sport. So I just don't get how you can safely ask. Um, two squads of what 15 16 players each to come together plus staff to the referee and all the rest of it yeah. and say well it, it, you 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 either you can either be in a con- in contact with other people or you can't and if you can't doesn't matter whether it's you know um, the, the from the greatest to the lowest you, you can still get this this bug from from contact I, I can't <laughs> see how it can proceed to be absolutely honest can we can we just touch on Cholton Aaron I just want yeah to mate 100 percent let's do it um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to park any kind of um, uh, rivalry uh, such as there is with Charlton, but I, what a absolute circus is going on at that club. I mean, I, you know, we, we're living in an era where we've seen um, Berry, a famous old club, mm. die. We were, um, and now we're seeing Charlton in, in a in a seeming in a tailspin. I mean, it's it's absolute shambles there with. They're, um, I, I think he's, I don't know if he's a chairman, but he's, he's the he money is, man. Well, I mean, the executive chairman is Matt Southall. Tamu Nemer is his excellency. Tamu Nemer is, is the sort of the chief financial backer of um, East Street Investments, who, who, who supposedly own the club. Um, so I, I mean, I can give you a bit of a rundown of what's happened. Go for it, mate. Go for it. Yeah. So, so they completed the, the deal, um, to take over Charlton on the 2nd of January. And when they mean they completed the deal, it means that they passed the fit and proper owners test, which means that they can actually run the club. Yeah. However, what's happened since then is that there's been disagreements at board level between Matt Southall and Tamu Nemer, where uh, Tamu Nemer has now basically failed to provide proof of funds to the EFL to show that he can run the club to go into the summer. Now, he has got the money, but he has now withdrawn his funding from Charlton Athletic because of this row with Matt Southall. Now, it's interesting. I've kept sort of um, in touch with everything that's going on now. Nemea's been sort of vocal on Instagram talking about Matt Southall, talking about, um, you know, the money he's spending. I mean, he's he's got himself an apartment on 150 grand a year rent. I saw um, that, yeah. Which is which is an absolute shambles. Southall actually sat down yesterday with the supporters trust Charlton, and um, the fans have very quickly turned on him. Let me just tell you that because it's emerged that Southall doesn't actually have the money behind him, and it's all Tamoon who, who who's got the money. Um, this is going to be big trouble for Charlton Athletic once again. Chris Parks, who was their their uh, football secretary for about 30 years, uh, he was suspended. He's been brought back into his role. No one actually knows what's going on right now. Matt Southall is saying that Tamoon has resigned from the board. Tamoon saying, no, I've still got a place on the board. It is all a giant mess. And um, it's as if, I mean, Charlton wish they could go back to Roland de Chatelet. And, um, I was going to say, it's it, it's getting to that point where it doesn't yeah, seem I such mean, a bad option. At least it was oh, stable, oh. you know, and incredible. I mean, it's it, probably got to be careful how we pitch some of this because I think there's there's yeah. allegations of um, all sorts of allegations. Let's just leave it there. And there's some wonderful videos doing the rounds of various well, players in the in the drama. Um, there's some breaking news that Michael's just put in our in our group chat from Sky about. I think Boya has been told that. Charlton may run out of money to pay staff and players by December. 
Wow. And they were placed under a transfer embargo this January. I mean, you know, it's... Financial it's, it's, issues have been ongoing. I, I, I don't share the kind of um, the visceral uh, feelings of some towards Charlton, but because you've got to look at the football in the wider context. And this is this is a very, um, sadly, not untypical. I mean, the soap opera part has its own plot line it's going to follow. But we've seen similar things with Barry and you have these shysters coming in from various directions, taking over football clubs. You know, this this is our national sport that we're, mm. we're watching fall apart in front of our eyes. And because it's such a football being such a tribal business you know everyone thinks that their their club is is it and everyone else is you know to to be scorned but it's you know there is a bigger picture here i i this as as funny as it is and there is amusement factor the one i was watching with um matt south i think i can only hope it was his girlfriend he was sitting but anyway (laughs) yeah um, i mean that's just you know low rent stuff anyway how how this stuff comes out as well is no it's crazy but What's that's, interesting that's a... with it, sorry to keep the, the topic going, but um, it, it kind of to bring it back to the coronavirus theme of it about the playing behind closed doors, actually. I think the we're seeing the EFL especially is in bad financial trouble. A lot of the clubs is being run badly and a lot of people are blaming the EFL for this about the fit and proper persons test. But you see in League Two, there's a load of clubs who are really teetering on the edge, like Macclesfield, yeah. very obviously went in League One. South End, I think, are in dire straits. Um, there's a lot of clubs, and a lot of them are running like game by game. And the, the fear was of going behind closed doors that you could see a handful of them fold because they're running on their game to game gate money or bi weekly, you know, and yeah. they, the money that they get on a match day keeps them afloat as it is at the moment because of how they've been run, because of how the structure is, because of the trickle down effect of money in football, because of all of these things. And so, Go and make a decision to go behind closed doors to keep the Premier League on TV will potentially lead to some League Two clubs going bust. And like you're saying, it's about the wider picture. And I think as football fans, you can laugh at a rival team getting hammered. You can laugh at someone getting sold, getting sacked, things like that. But yeah. when it comes to matters like this, as a football fan, you've it, it's hard to revel in it because, you know, what are the chances that's your club in a few years? What are the chances that you know, it can happen to any club and it's no one wants to see a football club who love fans as well, who love their club. No one wants to see fans lose that or to see the thing that they've spent so much money and so much time on over their lives be just kind of torn away from them because of some foreign investment or some lack of a background check on someone or a spat on a board. It's it's really worrying. Um, and I, I'd hope Charlton find someone to come in and solve it for them, really. Achtung, Move on to our random topic of the week, Nick. Well, that was that was um, our most hated football, or most greatest hated villain of football. Um, so um, I've got a few replies. Let's just run with these. I, I mean, I, you know, it's easy to pick out Ian Holloway because, um, you know, I, I said to everyone before we did this, listeners, I said only one person can say Ian Holloway. So I think I've, I've probably grabbed it there. Um no, I mean, the thing is for Millwall is that every club chairman over the years has always been seen as a bit of a villain. But it, they, they, I think there's this curious idea, and I'm thinking back to the to the 1960s and 70s where various chairmen came in with this um, idea that um, they would sell their talent. Um, Gordon Hill was a great example. We sold him in the 70s to, to Manchester United. So club chairmen were invariably local kind of um, uh, gentlemen of a certain, um, you know, uh, wayward background who made good local businessmen, shall we say? 
um, and the money would often disappear. So we, we would sell players like Hill particularly, which was a, a psychological um, scarring moment in my life as a young boy, when we sold our most talented player for no obvious benefit or gain in the squad. So I think Mill chairman over the years, only really since John Barrelson's arrived, They've not been quite such villainous um, figures, but um, I've, I've gone for a, a bit of a cop out. I've gone for Mill Chairman over the years because they always seem to be, um, we always seem to be a club on the brink of bit good times, and suddenly the money would disappear and um, we'd still be in the third division <laughs> despite um, better, better prospects. Did you have any villains that you wanted to share with us, Ryan? Did you have anyone that um, yeah, sprang to well, mind? I, I had. Um... You know, I could have gone down a very bad route because, as we know, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in football. I think one of them that I, I, you know, came over to light, I think, over the last year. I mean, I, I'm not going to talk about because I I, we've talked about some heavy stuff, so I don't want to go too deep. But if anyone no. is interested, just Google the Afghan Football Federation scandal with their women's team to really destroy. Right. I have um, to read. I don't know that one. Yeah, that, I mean, I'll expect that. that. Let's be fair. Yeah, and you know, I think anyone that's, involved in that's that, a conversation that. stopper, Ryan. No, no, but that's why I'm not going to go into. End the pod. End the pod. It's done. It's done. done. It's done. But, so then after that, I thought I'd go a bit lighter and go. There's two categories of villain, really. You've got the pantomime villain, which I think in England we have Mike Dean and Jose Mourinho, who are two people yes. who love to be the pantomime villain. Neil Warnock a bit as well. He's a good villain. For He's a good villain. Yeah. Bats, for press, for whoever. And then I think, really, Seth Blatter is a fantastic he, villain of football. You know, it's a, he's a small European man sitting in a Swiss fortress, <laughs> counting piles of money, planning people's <laughs> downfall, taking backhanders, you know, um, at the top uh, of the game that is beloved by so many. And he's just breaking it in. And it's, you know, I think he's oh, a good shout for a villain. What a stunt that was. What a stunt that was to cut to... Because every time you say set blatter now, that's the moment that picture where he's surrounded by dollar bills kind of yeah. <laughs> cascade. That's See, the image me, you've got in his in your mind, you know. When when you say set blatter, what I think of is uh, Hugh Dennis off of Set Blatter. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Dennis off of uh, Mot the Week. Uh, he did he did an impression. Sit sit set uh, step ladder. Yeah. yeah, it's a German person saying step ladder, and that's all I can think of. Step ladder. Yeah, that does to my mind as well. But even, that, but even I think just how kind of pathetic he, I know he's an old man, but just how kind of pathetic he is, is makes him such a good villain. There's, like you say, there's the, the money being thrown around him. There's the video of him falling off the stage. You know, I think he plays into being a good, I think Gianni Infantino is still bad, his replacement, but he's a bit less... You know, he's a little bit less noncy. That's ridiculous. But, you know, I think Seth Blatter, over the last, you know, however many years, I think he's a good face of the villainy of football. There were some very odd characters in that whole FIFA World Cup ticketing scandal that went on a few years. I mean, Seth, oh, Seth, mate, the mate from America. The bloke from America. The Chuck really weird. Blazer. Chuck Blazer. Oh, Chuck like, Blazer. With his parrot. I don't know. Yeah. And he's like this kind of curly haired, bearded guy. Um, and he's he look, is, that, is he? Yeah, oh well, I shouldn't. I shouldn't take the piss too much then. But um, but he reminded me it used to be like an art, an art teach yourself art program in the eighties, and it sometimes still does the rounds on some of the channels. And the artist on this was like a really nice California guy, and he'd say, "Well, if you want to do a nice mountain, you know, you you want to curve up with your your heels oh, yeah. here." And it, every time I saw Chuck Blazer, I think of the bloke that did the uh, the painting for beginners or whatever it was called um but there was a, there were a few in there and, and set blatter but just looking at some of the replies that 
Jim Neal has joined you, Ryan, in saying Sepp Blatter. But um, I mean, we've lurched from the Afghan Football Federation to Karen Brady. I don't think I, mean, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> He's mentioned Karen Brady because she, she had a dig at us when we, she was Birmingham chief exec, wasn't she, in her younger career? And I, I just think there's too much of a leap to go from the Afghan Football Federation to Karen Brady. Um, Aaron, you might know the answer. JG is. As his villain, he's posted whoever decided to move Wimbledon to Milton yes. Keynes. I, I can't yeah. remember who that was. Who, yeah. so, I mean, we talk about pantomime villains and actual, like, you know, full blown scumbags. Charles Copple was a full blown scumbag. Copple. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Copple with a K, not Copple with a C. Yeah. Um, he was brought in by the Norwegians that was sold a dream by uh, Sam Hammam, the former sort of vociferous mm. chairman of Wimbledon's <laughs> club. Um, and he worked in line with the other fellow from Milton Keynes, Pete Winkleman, um, to, to to sort of, you know, carry on with probably one of the biggest football farces ever seen, where you actually yeah. find a club yeah. Um Charles Cotter, he was actually, you know, he was issued death threats and whatnot. Um, you know, I know the people of Wimbledon are known to be sort of, you know, like nice people, but I don't think he's very welcome in South London, let's just say that. I could imagine. And it's also just as a as a kind of a you know a happy ending, it's it's good to see Wimbledon with plans to move back to the Well the, the, the stadium Merton, is, in, is in full flow, the main stand is up, you know, it just it looks absolutely brilliant. And the fact that the fans have made so much money, the the crowdfunding effort has been nuts. Did uh, they yeah. get their target for that, Aaron? Uh, no, not yet. No, not yet. But the thing is, one, they dropped the target, so it, it's all to do with having to get another loan. So they yeah. dropped the target, they've managed to get themselves the target amount so that they can get a loan at a, a better rate and it will be okay. better off for the club in the long run you know but yeah, sure. just a, a fantastic effort I'm really looking forward to seeing the ground opening um, you know they will move into it next season who knows you know they're going to need to ground chair for about three or four games Wimbledon yeah, yeah. see Wimbledon yeah. at the den that's the question playing ground sharing for three or four games um, if Mill were in the championship, because I don't think it will happen with Crystal Palace again after the yeah. whole debacle in the 90s. Uh, the Stoop has been shattered as an option. Craven Cottage has been shattered as an option. But I'm just wondering, is the Den an option as well for uh, for AFC Wimbledon to come and play uh, and play their trade for three or four games at the start of next season? Yeah, I think that'd be good. I think they'd be welcomed at the Den, to be honest. But... Tra- Transport-wise, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, yeah. you know, and Wimbledon a bit of money for Mill, maybe as well. Very nice, very nice. And again, as we're I, I constantly keeping in mind now, we're lurching from Ryan's Afghan women's team to 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 Steve Watson's mentioned Simon Jordan. So from Afghanistan to Simon Jordan, um, does he come under the villain banner? Asks Steve. I don't think he really is a villain. Is he's, he's not really. I, he Maybe actually comes. Mime style. Minor speech impediment as well. Yeah, yeah he, come, he comes over quite for, for a palace bloke. He comes over quite okay, I think. He's just uh, of... very outspoken, isn't he? And some people don't like that. I'm, some a, people fan. Don't. I'm a fan, boys. You know what? I, I'm reading this book at the moment, funny enough. It is a fabulous book. Um, you know, because everything, I mean, every word you read, you can imagine him saying in that voice of his. You know, he's he's got this very rapid way of speaking. Um, and and it's it's a very good read. And plus, I think on Talk Sport. I think the the shower that is obviously Jim White. I think <laughs> and he offers a lot of balanced balanced debate. You know, he's talked to a lot of people. He talked to Mino Raiola the other week, and and he and he and he put him to the sword, and it was it was really good to see. I think he gets a, a very very bad rap, but the fact of the matter is, um, how many fans of football clubs can you say 
that have gone well that have got yeah that have gone and put in 30 35 million pounds of their own money and seen it all pissed away yeah, yeah. no he's a, he's a football man i i i, I can't I, i'm sorry steve i can't put simon jordan in the villain character in category um it just doesn't work for me tony l big shout out to tony l always always a, a fan of the show he's mentions the referee steve tanner um versus uh, sheffield wednesday in two, 2006 which was a famous incident where we scored a vital goal which he disallowed and whilst the players were celebrating at the away end at the den um, allowed sheffield wednesday to break and score and win the game and um his, his name is is mud ever since so steve tanner says Tony L. A good choice. I think I, I, I agree with, with Steve Tanner as a villain. Um, some others. I've got one from Grumpy Grimace. Oh, Grumpy, uh, Grumpy Grimace. He's, he's got, he's got some, some light-hearted ones, which we like, and some serious ones. Not quite in your Afghan category, uh, Ryan, but still. Um, Andre Mariner for disallowing <coughs> George Savile's goal against Fulham in 2018. He's a villain. Um and more seriously, I think the South Yorkshire Police, sorry for, for Hillsborough, for which no one has been held accountable. And I think that's a, a very good point. Uh, but he also mentions Mike Riley for the fiasco that VAR is, um, which yeah. you know is is, is a good uh, a good choice. Um, See, one that didn't pop up, Nick, uh, is Vincent Tan. Yeah, you mentioned Vincent. Tan. Oh, he yeah, is the, a great Cardiff. He dresses Tan was really, and you know he showed the true sign of a villain. And do you know what that is? That is, his trousers were really jacked up high. <laughs> um, you know, his trousers were jacked up too high, and he used to wear the uh, like the home shirt over over like a suit. Yeah, it he did. Because the shirt I don't, like, I don't well, think I've ever seen him without sunglasses on. No, 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 no. I mean, he was a proper, proper villain. The thing yeah. with, I think, Vincent Tan's a good choice. Because of his actions at Cardiff and and how he looked as well, because he did look like a villain, and it reminded me a little bit of the Diego Costa last night. If you if you were like at a casting committee for a, a film that required a villain or a villain sidekick, oh, yeah. you probably you probably look at Vincent Tan and it's over the top. A villain, he look he just looks too much like a villain, you know. <laughs> and then you say, well, what about Diego Costa? You say, no, he looks like a villain too, but too much. You want some ba- some balance in your kind of you know, villains don't look so villainous, do they? always mm. um but no he's a good choice it, it changed the the, uh, the team colors from blue to, to red, red yeah. well. blue to red does mass sort of protest and hysteria i think do you know what one thing i'll say about vincent tan is is as much as he is a villain he's actually a very very smart businessman because what he's done is he pumped a lot of money into cardiff in their seat was it one season in the premier league or two yeah, yeah one, one brief season. brief well, one, one, one yeah, season yeah. in the premier league under malcolm mckay and then ollie solskjaer um and, and they spent a lot of money. But what he did was, as soon as they went down to the championship, he employed Russell Slade. And Russell Slade, for, uh, for, for a sort of a championship, an EFL manager, he gets a lot of stick. But what he did was, is he cleared the wage bill. Yeah. yeah. Cleared the wage bill, started again. Cardiff had a couple of seasons mid-table. He brought in Warnock. Let's be fair, no one expected them to get promoted. And Neil no. Warnock was able to do that. Now, what he's gone and done again is, he went into the Premier League. They barely spent any money, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah. he's managed to recoup his losses. Achtung, Mailball. So shall we close with the uh, Derby, Aaron? You're, you're going to be on BBC Radio Derby, I believe. Yeah, right? they, they, they want me to do a little piece later, so um, I'll, um, I'll report back on that, listeners, once we've once we've done it. But um, yeah, uh, BBC Derby. Uh, talk to them later on. Right, it, let's presume that the game goes ahead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, let's presume that it's with a crowd um, and not behind closed doors, just for the sake of argument. Um, massive, massive situation, because if we win that, then we're seriously in the mix, depending on other results, and it will put pressure on other teams around us. Um, but I really do think this, This, you know, I've said how many times our turning point in the season, this is another one, isn't it? You know, a win on Saturday in that situation with the intensity of the den. Um, game on big time if we can get three points there. If there's a crowd and this, yeah, if, if it starts. That's going to be one of the big shames as well if it is played behind closed doors is that Rooney, it might be his one and only trip to the den, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think the fans would like to see him there and, you know, give him a bit of stick. And Oh, they'd love often, to. <laughs> you know, I think uh, it'd be a real shame if, if the, the fixture goes ahead and it's behind closed doors. It'd be, uh, be a massive shame. I mean, I, uh, a great a great player. I know that he gets, he has, he's, he's an easy target to take the piss out of Wayne Rooney and he's had a, a career that um, has, has had its moments of uh, controversy. But, um, you know, in, the English, the top scorer for England, um, a great player. Um, a, a fantastic influence on the game. So, you know, it'd be great to see him. It'd be great to have the chance to see him play before, you know, his career probably comes naturally to an end. But um, it's going to be it's going to be a hot atmosphere if 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 if, if there's there a crowd. One. If yeah. if 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 score oh. predictions. What do we think? Well, um, I'll tell you what, Ryan, you go first, Paul. Um I'm looking at Derby's results. I think two uh, 0 or two one. To Millwall. I think our defence yeah. is solid, so we could probably get a clean sheet. They're like you're saying, they're quite inconsistent, a bit of upturned form, but I think I think two nil to build on Forest is uh, that's what I'm gonna go for. What if there's no crowd? Then a nil nil draw. Because <laughs> 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 our defence is still good, but we might lack that cutting edge. I think I mean, it'd be a massive shame if, if that's how it turns out. But um, I think if, if I think we'll we'll win, presuming there's a crowd in the den, I, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with two 0 win for the Lions um, because I just think it's going to be a den occasion. Uh, the presence of Wayne Rooney he, he is he is a he is a star, and there's nothing that the, the den loves more than to 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 bait a star, and that that will add theatre to the occasion. Um, if there isn't a crowd, um, I still think we'll. I still think we're good enough to beat Derby, but it's going to be a very, very different occasion. Um, mm. One, one nil, maybe if there's no crowd. Two nil if there is. I'm going at Millwall to Derby County nil. I think it's going to be um, a good afternoon for the Lions. I think Derby, have, Derby are starting to uh, bring a lot of youth in. Um, sort of combat where they are and, and, and sort of their lack of achievement this season. Um, Rooney can only do so much as well. There's no such thing as a one-man team, let, let's be fair. And more importantly, who's going to replace Mason Bennett in Mills lineup? Yeah, because oh, he can't play. He can't start, can he? He can't play. He can't yep. play at all. Well, that's the question. Mm. Who's, going to, uh, who's going to replace Mason Bennett? Uh, I think Matt Smith is an auto-starter, isn't he? Uh, after right. last week, you can't not start him. Well, I mean, same with Ferguson. Ferguson. I mean, you know, you, you, if we, if, again, if we serve up Matt Smith with the right kind of service, and mm. we mentioned earlier in the show the Matt's, uh, the uh, Shane Ferguson and Murray Wallace working well together on on that side, then yeah, mm. I, I'd, I'd expect it to be um, Smith, possibly Bradshaw. I think four four two Saturday. Yeah, I could see four four because that is actually throws a big spanner in the works not having Bennett because I think 
why Smith got that trick and why it was so effective is was having him playing kind of as a ten behind Smith. So and we don't really with with Thompson out, we don't really have anyone else who can do that. So four four two, yeah, I could see it go back to that. Um Ferguson on the left, yeah, Bradshaw probably up front. Potentially maybe playing like four two three one with uh Bod Barson as a ten, but you know, it'll be interesting to see. I think four four two is probably more likely. Well, the interesting chaps. Obviously, um, we'll see if it actually happens. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's open. As we're recording, it's who knows. We'll we'll follow events closely. Yeah, indeed. Um, chaps, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, wherever you are, be safe. I'm actually off to stockpile on fish fingers. Sensible. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking, pal? You, no. <laughs> I'm straight down to Lidl's now to buy fish fingers. I don't care about toilet roll, nothing like that. You know, I want fish fingers. So I'm off to suck off on fish fingers. Lovely stuff. <laughs> uh, thank you, gents. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to drop us the tweet now and then. Let us know uh, what you reckon of the show. Any feedback on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you want as well. Uh, it's at CBL underscore magazine on Twitter. Until next week, be safe. Bye for now. Akfang Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, Millwall at gmail.com. All one word, Millwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mailball deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.